Well, today as we continue on in our study in the book of Galatians, we have been working to unpack God's gift of grace to us. Really, been, we've been trying to understand not only God desiring to give us this unmerited grace, this, this free gift, but also understanding that um, as the grace of God comes into our lives, it truly changes everything. And so we're going to continue this conversation today. And after, after seeing last week how our failure to obey the law, how our failure to keep Scripture really pointed us to the need of, of Jesus, pointed us to the need of a, of a Savior, Paul is moving in, in chapter 4 to discuss the concept of what it means to be sons and daughters of God. See, we've, we've come out of this place of understanding grace and its... And it's basic form we've understood what it means to to step into relationship with jesus and receive the gift of grace now we need to really understand and comprehend what it means to be called god's children because there's some some important truths that we will be able to uh, to, to 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 bring out of this passage of scripture today if you do have your bibles you can uh, flip to galatians chapter 4 this morning as we prepare to dive into Scripture. But this story today is really about growing up. And I don't know about you, I don't know where you kind of found yourself in life, but when I was young, it was like all I wanted to do was grow up. You know, when you're a little kid, it's like I just want to grow up and be a fireman, or I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be a police officer. And we all have all these big dreams when we're kids. But on the flip side of that, you know, we get a little bit older, start having our own kids, we become parents. I don't know about you, but I think every parent dreams about the day, the day that their children grow up. Right? It's like, you know, they're, you know, we see the kids walk into church and we're like, oh, Gretchen and I'll be like, remember when our kids were cute like that? Yeah. And then they grew up. But we... We all want to see our kids grow and mature and, and, and grow into the, the people that God has desired them to be. See, you know, babies are cute, but, but if, if they stayed babies forever, don't you think it would get a little bit tiring? Like the crying and the changing of the, you know, I just, yeah. It, I think it would, it, would get, it would get to be a little bit tough. We're excited our, our, our boys are home. The, 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 the Clements household is back to full strength. And uh, Micah and Elijah have come home from college. And Elijah came home this week, and we're excited to have him back. But when Elijah was a little guy, um, he had this little scream that he did. And uh, we like to call it his pterodactyl scream because that's what it sounded like. And the, the most memorable times that we would, we would be greeted with this type of a uh, a greeting was when Gretchen would go to to wash his his blanket. She had made blankets for each of the kids when they were little, and we'd throw his little red blanket in the laundry, and he would lose his mind. It was like, ah! and we. <laughs> I think Gretchen has a video of it somewhere, but it was a little tough. And I remember thinking, this is this this is going to pass, right? He won't keep doing this his whole life, and it did. He only does that once in a while now. But even as, as kids, we want to grow up and we want to come to that place of, of, of maturity and 
We dream about getting jobs. We, we dream about working. We dream about what we're going to do when we become adults. You know, I, some, sometimes we probably all kind of jokingly say, still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. But it's that process of, of growth. And we tell our kids, enjoy being kids. Right? Enjoy being young. And enjoy having freedom. Enjoy not really having any huge responsibilities. But they want to grow up. They can't wait to grow up. I can't wait to move out of this house and start making my own decisions. Okay. Somewhere, at some point, our kids pass from being children to becoming adults. And we actually are really enjoying our kids as they grow up and become older and more mature. And now we're having more like life-important conversations. And it's kind of fun. But the markers are different for all of us, right? This, this growth and maturity process. Sometimes it's graduation. When if I can just graduate, I'll be, I'll be an adult. Sometimes it's, it's buying a car. It's that milestone of having your own vehicle. I don't have to borrow mom and dad's keys anymore. Or maybe it's moving out or, or getting married. There's all these stages that we look forward to. See, I knew that I had become an adult when, when something significant happened in my relationship with my parents. You know, they spent a, a lot of their time when I was young trying to get me to do things. Like, hey, we need you to do the dishes. We need you to go out and mow the lawn. We need you to spread the bark dust. We need you to do, 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 do. you know, we, we all had the chores and stuff we had to do. Now we go and visit my mom and dad, and it's kind of cool. We've somehow become guests in their home. There's no expectation that I got to do the dishes after we sit down. I don't have to spread their bark dust anymore. It's really pretty great. I would probably mow their lawn if they wanted me to, but they don't have a lawn. So, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's that marker that I've, I've passed to adulthood, the tender age of 44. But today's story is, is really rooted in a time when, when growing up had a, had a great significance. It was, it was something that was celebrated and recognized in the day in which Paul was writing. There was legal implications and religious implications. For instance, in the, in the Jewish culture, a boy passed from adolescence to manhood shortly after his 12th birthday, at which time he was referred to as a son of the law. He had moved to this place of maturity and there was expectations and there was responsibilities placed upon him. In Greek culture, it was a little bit different. The, 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 the age in which a minor became an adult was about 18. But there was a similar emphasis on entering into full responsibility as an adult. It was, there was this festival that they would, they would throw, and they called it apatoria, where the child would pass from the care of his father to the care of the state. He was now responsible. It's kind of the, you know, you see kids who make mistakes and, and, and make decisions in life and, and perhaps their legal decisions, they're, 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 they, 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 they do something and there's a criminal nature to it and they're either tried as a juvenile or they're tried as an adult. And this was that progression of acknowledgement. And in, interestingly enough, in Roman society, in this, this, this day in which Paul was writing, it was even more different. 
See, in Roman society, the father decided when a child would become an adult. So it was actually up to the father. And every year on March 17th of the Roman calendar, the, the Romans held a festival, and they called it Liberalia. And at this feast, if the father thought his son was ready, he would be formally adopted by his father and acknowledged as son and heir. It wasn't until that point that they were recognized as an heir. He would receive new clothes and a series of gifts. And after this ceremony, the son was considered to have come of age. He had new rights, new responsibilities. He was an adult. So you can imagine kids wondering as March 17th rolled around, is this the year? Is this the year that I'm going to be an adult? Is this the year that I'm going to be considered a man? Right? I don't know if they wore their denim shirt and held, held the hems of it, but, but Paul had just finished in Galatians chapter 3 by saying, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, who were baptized in Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. So he had just talked about our inheritance when we put on Christ and when we step into relationship with Jesus. And now in Galatians chapter 4, Paul's about to paint a word picture of our relationship with God using the concept of growing up. Passing from a period of childhood to adulthood. This process of maturity in the eyes of God. And so we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 4. And if you flip there, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The words are on the screen and also you can find them on the YouVersion Bible app. But Paul writes, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful that you call us your children that You call us back into relationship. No matter how far we've wandered away, no matter how many things we've done wrong in our lives, no matter how often we've chased our own desires. God, You desire relationship with us. You desire to call us Your children. You desire that intimacy of a father and a son or daughter. And so we say thank You for being willing to send Your Son so that that could be made possible. We ask today, Father God, that You would challenge our hearts, that You would open us to receiving the gift of relationship with our Heavenly Father. That You'd help us to understand what it means 
to be your heirs, to be those who receive the inheritance of an eternity with you. I pray, Father God, that you would continue to work in our hearts and transform our lives as we step into a relationship with you with our whole hearts. God, we love you and we thank you for this time we have together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See, as we, as we unpack this passage of Scripture, it's important to understand some elements of what Paul is challenging us to, to comprehend when it comes to being sons and daughters of Christ. Son, sons and daughters of God. The reality is that, that when we were in our sin is when God decided to sin Christ. And the truest reality is that God is the God of perfect timing. See, we tend to, to pursue things in our own time and we, we prioritize things. I want to see this happen in my life and I want to see that happen in my life and then I want to I earn this kind of money and I want to have this kind of a job and I want to drive this kind of a car and sooner or later I want to buy this kind of a house. We've got all these priorities and these dreams and these desires. And God is saying, my timing for you and every element and aspect of your life is perfect. If you're just willing to trust me. It's always amazing to me to see how God is faithful to bring about His purposes for our lives in His timing. I don't know about you, but sometimes His timing doesn't match mine. I'm ready. Let's get this thing going. Let's plow forward. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move. And God's like, no, you're really not. I promise you, you're not. But we want to charge ahead. And there's a reality to growing in our relationship with Christ that is really not too dissimilar to our process of growing up in life. See, growing in Jesus is much like maturing as a young person. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like we don't, we don't you know, go to bed you know, when we're 11 and we wake up when we're 12 and I'm like, oh, there we go! I know everything there is to know. I am mature. I am ready. Life Bring it on. No, it's just that's not how it works. We go through seasons and we go through processes and we go through trials and we go through ups and downs and it teaches us and it grows us and it shapes us and it matures us. I'm sure we can all probably recall moments in our lives when we thought we were ready to take on the world. Bring it on. Give me your best, world. I'm ready. There was many seasons in my life where I probably felt that way. One of the most memorable areas for me was in what I like to call Dan's driving escapades. See, I had this nagging, nagging feeling when I was young that I was born to drive, born to be behind the wheel. And it took shape in many different ways. See, I... I can remember when I was 14 years old and my dad had just purchased this brand new 91 Toyota 4x4 pickup, beautiful red pickup truck. It was awesome. And I can remember thinking, you know what? I think that thing needs to be driven. And so I got the keys. And you know, it's, it's a manual transmission. It's a stick shift. How hard can this be? I got in, and I'm pretty sure I had my brother in the passenger seat, my younger brother. It's really safe. So we got in, and we lived where we lived in Salem 
when I was a kid growing up, we lived in this house, and we lived on a loop, right? So this, this loop went up and around in the neighborhood and then came back down, and we had friends all up and down our, our street. And so we, we jumped in the pickup, and I think we had one of my, our next-door neighbors in, in, the, in the, you know, the extended cab. So we go off, and, and we're, we're kind of truck, trucking up the, up, the, up the loop, and we come down, and we come down this hill. So there's a hill coming down the loop. And as I'm coming down, I, I, I push the clutch in, and I you know, wasn't really exactly sure what to do, so I'm braking. And I got down to the bottom of the hill and got a little too close to our buddy's dad's brand-new Ford Bronco. And, and I, was, I was far enough away where I hadn't hit him, and I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. So I tried to put it in reverse. And you know what happens when you pop it in reverse and then you don't let the clutch off quite the right way? I let the clutch off too quick, and you know what happened. The truck lurched forward and boom, right into the side door of my buddy's dad's Bronco. I was like, oh, buddy, this is not good. So, of course, I had to humble myself, jump out of the car at the tender age of 14 years old, and go and tell my buddy's dad, I'm like, I'm really sorry, I just hit your, your truck. And then, of course, I you know, had to tell my, my dad, hey, remember that one time when you got that really nice truck? It was really nice. It's still nice-ish. But there was a nice dent in the front fender. And you'd think, I would, you'd think I'd learn. You'd think I'd get it. And figure out, yeah, it's probably not, you know, there's this whole driver's license thing. It's, you know, it's a whole process. But I didn't. When I was 15, I thought, you know, my parents had gone away on a trip. And I thought, you know, I'm hungry. I'm a growing boy, doggone it. I should probably go drive down to Albertson's and get some snacks. And so I jumped in my mom's automatic transmission. I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm nobody's fool. I got in the automatic, and I drove down to Albertson's without incident, I might add. It was a very smooth drive there, very smooth drive back. And everything was great. Got my snacks. Life was good until my parents got home, and my older brother ratted me out. Thank you, Ned. And then my mom said, you're not getting your license until you're 17. I was like, wait, what? And then she got sick of driving me around, so she let me get my license at 16 and a half. But what I'm saying is, We all want to grow up, and sometimes too quick. And we think we're ready. We think we got it all figured out. And we sometimes come up against realities that say, no, you're not. And perhaps your kids are giving you the same guilt trips. When are you going to let me drive? When are you going to let me do this? When are you going to let me have an iPhone? When are you going to let me have a TV in my room? When can I download this app? Leah Clements. And we want all this freedom. We want to be able to do the things that we know we're ready to do. We've all been there. Where we feel like we're ready for something that we think we need. And God's saying, kind of give it some time here. See, Paul begins to unpack this reality right away in this passage of Scripture. If we go back to the the text, Galatians 4.1, he says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves us leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age 
their father set. See, the picture here is a, of, a, of a very small child who is the heir of a big estate. As long as he's a child, though, he's essentially no different in the eyes of the law than that of a slave. And in that season of time, slaves and, and children who had not come to age were seen the same way. You have no rights. You have guardians. You have people who are going to make sure that you are safe, that make sure that you make the right decisions, make sure you do the right things. So this child, he can't make decisions. He has, he has no freedom. He's subject to what his guardians and trustees say until he reaches the age at which his father decides he's an adult. Kind of a tough deal. Come on, just let me do this. Let me do that. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough. I'm ready. But Paul uses this picture as a condition of our status before coming to relationship with Jesus. Before coming to relationship with Jesus, we were children. We had no rights. We were going down a path that was destructive. We were going down a path that was separating us from God's love. And then Jesus came. God saw fit to send His Son. See, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 says, and that's the way it was before Christ came. We were slaves to the spiritual powers of this world. We were bogged down in the evil desires. We were bogged down in chasing all the wrong things. We were bogged down in making decisions that were destructive for our lives and the lives of those we love. See, Paul uses the words spiritual powers, and sometimes people don't understand exactly what he was meaning when he said that. We think about the powers of darkness. We think about the spiritual strongholds that exist that we see throughout Scripture. But Paul was speaking a little bit more metaphorically in this particular passage because when he talked about spiritual powers, he was actually talking about elements. And not in the sense that you and I would think, like the periodic table, here's all the elements, and uh, we all figure out, don't mix this one with this one. I don't know what's in Mentos, but when you put it in Diet Coke, you know, yeah, I don't know but I'm sure it's on the element table. But we tend to think that way. But most scholars and theologians believe that Paul is talking about the elements that were recognizable in that time. Earth, wind, fire, water. Elements that they would have been worshiping gods who represented those things. See, people believed in gods for, for each of the elements. People believed in the God of, of love, the God of, of war, the God of this, the God of that. And there were all these false gods. And Paul's talking about people's spiritual beliefs in gods that really don't even exist. They were placing their spiritual belief in the wrong place. They had a wrong religious understanding. And then Paul explains what God did to change this situation. And it's an amazing verse. If you, if you look at verse 4 of the text, it says, but when the right time came, God sent His Son. But when the right time came, God sent His Son. Fully God, born of a woman. Fully human. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Subject to the law. The law that God 
promised to act within Israel. The law that was supposed to carry them to a worship of God. And I love this phrase, when the right time came. Because God's timing is perfect. See, we, we tend to look at our lives and we say, it's the right time. I'm ready. I got everything set up. We're ready to go. But God says, no, 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 no. I've got a right time. I have a perfect season. And when the right time came, it's as if God were like a father back in the Roman times and he, he saw March 17th coming and he said, it's time. It's time that my kids receive their rights. It's time that they receive the full privileges of being my children. See, this was the time that God chose to act. God in His sovereignty and His ability to know the beginning from the end, this was the right time. But it was also the right time in a different sense. See, God had been preparing the historical and cultural conditions of that time, period of time in history to be the perfect time for his son to arrive. Sometimes, have you ever been there where you're like, why did Jesus show up on the scene when he did? Why wasn't why was it earlier? Why wasn't it later? Why was that the perfect time? And if you, if you are a student of history, you know what was going on in the Roman culture. See, we, we tend to think we live in a time of rapid change and innovation. We're always looking around, you know, it's like once you get the, the newest phone, the new version comes out, and you're like, good grief, I can't keep up, right? We see things changing all the time. But the world at that time had experienced a, a technological and social revolution that, that made it perfect for Jesus to come to earth. Think about it. The world was united under, under Roman rule. Regardless of where you came from, Rome was the empire that existed and everybody was subject to Rome. It was something called Pax Romana or Roman peace. There was this peace in the land because Rome was so powerful that nobody had any desire to challenge them. There was innovation, there was technology that was sprouting up all over Rome. Rome, Rome, Rome had roads in and out of all of their towns, making travel and, and, and commerce possible, making it easy for people to get from one place to another. So communication happened faster. Deliveries happened faster. On top of this, the world spoke a common language. They spoke Greek. And so there was this unifying language making communication easier. And if that wasn't enough, people were spiritually hungry. If you've studied mythology, if you've studied the Greeks or the Romans, there was this philosophy and, and knowledge and this hunger and desire for truth and understanding where philosophers would sit around and dialogue and debate. And so people were hungry for truth. And, and the time could not have been better for God to send His Son. Jesus came at just the right time. See, in the same way, God's timing in our lives is perfect. When He decides to move, when He decides to act, when He decides to open a door, it's perfect. And He sees us in our weakness. He, he delivers us strength. 
He sees us in our worry and stress and He brings us peace. He sees us in our sinful desires and offers us grace and forgiveness because He loves us. Because He loved us so much He was willing to send His Son. See, God is a good Father. You know, children regularly ask their parents for things that that would be bad for them. Right? Do your, your kids ever do this? You're standing in the line at, at the grocery store. Dad, can I have some of this candy? You're like, no. You know, I was that kid that, you know, as we'd go down the aisle with mom, you know, she'd be pushing the shopping cart and I'd grab this and put it in. She'd grab it and put it back. Mom, can we get this? Put it in the, put it back. Right? Standing there. Can I get the candy? Nope, nope, nope. And we say no. Why, why do we say no? Because we know if we, if we give the kid the candy, it's not going to be good for him. We have more wisdom than our kids, whether they like to admit it or not. Because we know the candy will, will spoil our kid's dinner or it'll cause us to, them to feel sick or it's going to give them cavities and we're going to have a dental bill that, 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 that you know, goes to kingdom come. See, a good parent knows that the worst thing in the world for a child would be to get everything they ask for. Because they just don't know. They're kids. They don't understand that you know, some things you don't need or you shouldn't have or aren't going to be good for you. In a similar way, God's the, God the Father's wisdom is so much higher than ours. His understanding is so much greater. We should be able to trust Him. Even when He says no. Even when He says wait. It's not the right time. After all, He has our best interests in mind. He, he desires great things for our lives, but it takes humility. It takes humbling ourselves to His plan and purpose for our lives. But God's timing is perfect. It not only places us back in His purpose, but it prepares us to receive His promises. See, that's what His perfect timing does. It prepares us for the good things that He has in store for us. So we've got to remember that His timing is perfect. And we've got to embrace the fact that God's purpose in sending His Son, Jesus, is so we can be called His children. That's it. We were without hope. God desired to bring us back to the place of being called His children. And so He sent His Son so that we could have life. See, God intervened in history to change our relationship with Him. We were moving toward a destructive place. We, then our sin had been eternally separated from God. And through Jesus, we're called redeemed. We're called His children. We're called His chosen. Too many times in life we find ourselves pursuing the things of this world. We pursue the things that we think are going to be the most important elements of our lives. Careers and, and wealth and knowledge and understanding and experience and all these things, relationships. and All those things are temporary. In essence, we, we become children of the world and environment we've been raised in. And for some, that's a great environment. You're, you had a great family upbringing. For others, it was, it was not great. And it was something you just assume forget. 
The reality is no matter how good or bad your upbringing may have been, we are all children, or as Scripture says it, slaves of an evil world. Because this world is flawed. It's messed up. The priorities of this world are messed up. We've got it backwards. And this means that Jesus came to buy us out of the slavery of the world. He, he came to redeem us out of the place of pursuing evil things. Because we were slaves either to the religious laws the, Jew, the Jews sought or to wrong religious understandings. We thought if I do this and I do this and I'm pretty nice to people and I do all the right things and I say good things and I, and I greet people with a smile, then I'm good. And God was saying, no, 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 no. There's so much more than that. There's so much more that I have for you. And Jesus came to bring us out of that bondage. Galatians 4.5 says, God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. We've been adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We've been adopted. We just, last night I came home and kids were watching Blindside. Everybody seen The Blindside? Love that movie. Come on, it's just like a, it's like a feel-good movie. It's this movie of, you know, this, 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 this athlete who really had been raised in, in, in a very difficult situation, the projects. He came up being abused, being pulled out of his out of the care of his mom who was addicted to drugs and living a lifestyle that was not conducive to the state, pulls him away. And he's wandering when this family finds him. And they invite him in and they clothe him and they feed him and they, they love on him. And finally, they adopt him into their own family, giving him all the rights and all the privileges of being called son. It's this beautiful journey. And that's, that's what God has done for us. Jesus came so God could adopt us from our life of sin, move us into His family with all the rights of being called His kids. Romans 8.17 And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That means when we're invited into relationship when through Jesus we're invited into the family of God we show his glory because we're his what's the greatest thing we can we can hear from our parents I'm proud of you what's the most brutal thing your your parents ever say to you I'm disappointed and when when God is proud of us, it makes us want to be like dad. This is my dad. And sometimes, as we're invited into that relationship, as we're invited back into the family of God, we begin to reflect God's glory because we're his kids. See, God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can experience what God the Father through Jesus has already made us his kids, his children, in an intimate relationship with him. That's the cool aspect of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we can experience intimacy 
the intimacy of a father and a child. Galatians 4, 6, if you go back to the text. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God made you His heir. What an amazing promise. Since you are a child of God, you get everything. You get all the good stuff. Does it mean life's going to be easy and perfect? No. Does it mean because I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm my, my dad's son that my life is going to be perfect and crystal clear and I'm always going to make the right decisions? No. There was times in my life where my dad said, Dan, I'm proud of you. So excited you made that decision. And there was times in my life where my dad said, I love you, but Dan, I'm disappointed. And it's no different with our Father God. He loves us unconditionally. But sometimes we do things that make His heart glad, and sometimes we do things that make His heart sad. But our desire should be that, to show that with whom we've been called family. See, in verse 6, Paul moves all the way from the birth of Jesus to the day of Pentecost. He moves from, from the delivery of the promise of salvation through the Son, Jesus Christ, and he brings us all the way to the point where he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That indwelling power. And he uses an interesting phrase to depict our response. Did you read this? God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This is that picture of like when, when, when your kids get hurt, you know, and they come running to you, it's, ah, they fall on the skin of their knees, ah, it hurts. I don't know what you're saying, but uh, you, come here. We pick them up, we hold them, we, and immediately they feel safe. They run. And we're always sorry that our, that our kids got hurt. They, you know, they, they're struggling. They're, they're afraid. They're in pain. They're, you know. But aren't you always glad when they come to you? Right? Every one of us loves that safety, that security of, of knowing that we're accepted, knowing we're protected, knowing that we're, we're cared for. And Paul gives us this picture of God's children crying out to Him, running to Him, calling Him by the most intimate term of fatherhood that we see in Scripture. Abba. And this, this Aramaic word Paul uses here, Abba, is a term of endearment. It's a term of, of family intimacy, of relationship that goes beyond like, hey, I kind of like you, you're great. It's the unconditional love of a, of a father and a child, or a mother and a child. As Tim Keller describes it, it's used to refer to our new loving relationship to God. See, Keller says that he's not a distant God for whom we need to follow a lot of rules to stay in His presence. That's not how it works. That was the law. And Jesus fulfilled that. And then the power of the Holy Spirit came so that we could have immediate relationship with Father God. He reveals Himself as a loving Father whom we can approach without fear. 
Were there times in my life where I approached my dad and I was fearful because I knew I was going to disappoint him? Yeah. But I knew he'd love me. And as Keller describes the word Abba, signifies a confidence of love and assurance of welcome. Just as a young child simply assumes that a parent loves them and is there for them and never doubts the security of openness of daddy's strong arms. So Christians can have an overwhelming boldness and certainty that God loves them endlessly. Without fail, without end, without stop. Because Jesus came at just the right time. We're his children. We're his heirs. And this gift of grace comes in God saying to his son, it's time. Can you imagine the conversation with God the Father and God the Son? It's time. It's, it's not only the right time in history, it's, it's also time to set my children free from bondage and obligation. It's time for them to become my full-fledged children to receive my inheritance. What an amazing picture. And as we prepare to close today, there's, there's two things for us to understand today in embracing God's grace. The first is for those of us who are waiting. Maybe you're in life and you're, and you're waiting. And you're just saying, God, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And you just feel like God's saying, just wait. For those of, who are, uh, those of us who are waiting, you may be single waiting for marriage. You, you may be waiting and hoping for children. You may be stuck in a job you can't get out of. Or you may be waiting for the right job. You may be in a tough marriage and you're just waiting for things to get better. A difficult relationship. You're struggling to understand why. I know sometimes as a pastor, I'm, I'm always desiring that God would do more in and through our church, that we would see greater things happen. And, you know, and God's saying, just, just, just wait. I got this. For those of us who are waiting, sometimes impatiently, because we're kids, we're impatient sometimes. We have to remember God is the God of perfect timing, He's got it. He's got you. He's got me. And when the right time came, Scripture said, God is always the God of perfect timing. He sent His Son at just the right time that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And the second reality is this. The whole reason that God sent Jesus is so you could be called His child so that you could be invited into his family. Without exception. Without exclusion. And God wants that kind of relationship with you and with me. He wants you to experience the intimacy, the privileges that come from being his child. Scripture says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are a child, Everything he has belongs to you. It's amazing. In John 14, 18, Jesus makes this promise, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. But how many believers in the church today live like God has left them as orphans? Left them to their own devices? How many of us live as orphans when we have a loving Father who has adopted us into His home and told us, ask me anything. You are my child. So are you living this new life of faith as a child of God or as an orphan? He's desiring to invite you into relationship. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I close with this quote from Mother Teresa. She says this, May today be peace within. May you trust your highest power that you are exactly where you are meant to be. May you not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith. May you use those gifts that you have received and pass on the love that has been given to you. May you be content knowing you are a child of God. Let this presence settle into your bones and allow your soul the freedom to sing, dance, praise, and love. It is there for each and every one of you. What an amazing promise. Would you pray with me today? Father, we are so thankful for your immeasurable grace for your unconditional love, for your desire to have relationship with your children, for your desire to hear us call you Abba, Father, that you could reach down and scoop us up and pick us up and hold us in your arms where we can know that no matter what we're facing, we're safe. That no matter what's coming, your timing is perfect. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you are working all things for good for those who love you and are called by your name. Help us to remember that your timing is perfect and that you sent your son so that we could be called your children. We're so grateful today, Lord, that we can have confidence in your finished work and find comfort in your perfect love. God, we love you. And we thank you that you loved us first. So we reach out our hands and we say thank you. Perhaps this morning you are in a place where you're saying, I have not made that decision to, to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I don't, I don't know what it means to call God Father. All I've ever seen is a God that, that's sitting up there with a lightning bolt ready to zap me if I, if I step out of line. But today I've learned that God loves me. That no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how many times I step out of His plan, He still loves me. Today if your desire is to, to step into that place of being called His children, to say yes to God, step into relationship with Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity. Whether you're here in the house, whether you're tuning in online, God is working on our hearts. And He's desiring a connection with you that goes beyond your time on this earth.
So we're going to say a prayer, and the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be invited into the family of God. And so today, as a, as a, a family of believers, as a community of faith, we're going to say this prayer together, and we invite you who are making that decision for the first time or are coming back to the family of God as, as a prodigal. We invite you to say this prayer and to believe it in your heart. Let's say this together. Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart You'd be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing promise being invited into God's family to be called His children. And today that should be cause for celebration and, and truly, truly, truly it should be cause for us to desire to go out and share that hope. There is a lost and dying world who feel abandoned. Who feel like orphans in their own families. And there are many who are desiring to find that connection. Desiring to find that place to call home. So can we be those that go out of this place and share that hope? That we invite people into relationship. That we invite people into the family of God. Even if it's just over a meal. Or a brief interaction. Or coffee or just taking that extra moment to care enough to embrace somebody's reality. Let's do that this week. As we go out of this place, every week we make a commitment to go out and to be the neighborhood. Can we do that this week as we go out of this place? God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.